Hey, what's going on everyone? Welcome to Ask a Catholic Dude. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Nick and I am that Catholic Dude here taking any uh, questions, calls, comments, what have you on anything having to deal with the Catholic Church, Scripture, Faith, Tradition, what have you. Uh, feel free to call in uh, at any time. Uh, apologize for the uh, lack of content in the last, last week or so. It's been a little, little crazy around here and stuff and... Uh, trying to get back into it now um i know that uh last time i had promised that we were going to delve a little bit into uh the world of the jehovah's witnesses actually um and it actually kind of tied in with uh something another caller uh last week in the last week or two was was kind of talking about that uh, she had an experience with, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses. And it seems that a lot of both Christians and non-Christians, you know, today have a lot of interactions with Jehovah's Witnesses. And they really are leading a lot of people astray. Um, and I don't I don't say down, you know, another path. I, I do mean astray when I say it because um, while most Jehovah's Witnesses are, you know, great people, they, they, I mean, they really are. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're still our, uh, you know, our fellow, fellow man. Um, but what the, the main thing that we have to remember, and we have to call them out on, is that they do not believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. They don't believe that our Lord and Savior Jesus was God. They deny the Trinity. Um, and, and really, uh, I'm not going to get into this particular aspect too much today, but. For whatever reason, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus Christ is actually St. Michael the Archangel. Um, it, it, it's just, these conclusions that they reach come through some very strange readings of scripture. Um, readings that, you know, didn't appear before Jehovah's Witnesses appeared uh, in the 19th century. So, I'm going to delve a little bit in that today. Um, I, I just want to go over real quick, like, you know, my experience with... Uh, with the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, the couple, you know, I, I've talked to a few of them, but the, there was one couple that I, that, that me and my wife really talked to for a while, and they were, they were great people, I mean, they were really nice, uh, down to earth, they were, you know, just as passionate about their faith as my wife and I are about ours, and, um, we, we invited them into our, into our house twice, you know, we talked to them three times, um, you know, after they knocked on our door and stuff. Um, so, I mean, you guys don't really, you guys don't got to hide. I know that's, that's that's the first thing we want to do with that doorbell rings and it's like, oh, oh, close shades, we're not really home, we're not home, don't let them know that we're here. <laughs> you know, it's, maybe uh, that, that's something that we need to do is, you know, to interact with them, to, to have a dialogue and maybe see where they're coming from and, you know, if maybe they were former Catholics or former Christians of another denomination, you know, might be able to say something to lead them back or at least plant that seed. You know, I've heard conversion stories of Jehovah Witnesses before and, um, you know, they're like, you know, so many people want to slam the door on our face, but, you know, it, it took, you know, that one or two people to, to really talk to me to make me think about what I believed in, you know, and that's, that's something we should kind of take to heart. And now we, we don't have to go out of our way to, you know, convert them, but I mean, just, you know, let the Holy Spirit do His work and while we give a witness for our faith, let that seed hopefully be planted and hopefully it'll, you know, grow in due time. Um, 
but again the the, the couple that we talked to were really great um you know it, it it wasn't anything like i thought it would be um they let us you know when we were doing our bible discussion you know what we had our own bible i had a, a revised standard version as well as a new american bible um on hand and they had no problem with that you know they gave us some reading material to look after um you know they, they kind of wanted to steer the conversation one way or whatever but you know you just got to kind of stay on them a little bit sometimes but i mean really great people and you know we we at least came to the conclusion that you know what there's a chance theoretically that we both might be wrong in our views on our religious views but we both can't be right and we were fine leaving it at that point you know that we we accepted that you know there is a truth and we were both pursuing that truth so after the jump here we'll talk about their doctrine how it doesn't jive with catholic christianity or any christianity and we'll kind of go from there so there's a few different aspects i, I want to cover and you know we'll, we'll see this in the next few parts here um mainly the the biggest problem that uh jehovah witnesses have with uh orthodox christian theology is the trinity um, so by extension, that also includes the divinity of Jesus. Um, and then that also gets into translations of the Bible because uh, Jehovah's Witnesses use their own translation of the Bible called the New World Translation. Uh, from now, we'll call that the NWT, the New World Translation. And it's, you know, supposedly been translated by, you know, a, a group of scholars. And the thing is that this translation totally butchers everything it, it just totally butchers the original greek um you know in hebrew in the case of the old testament it, it just butchers it totally and you can see that their theology is put into this um as, as i'll make that clear um it just doesn't jive and then um and also what we're first going to get into though is a pamphlet that i was given after our uh second meeting with uh the the couple that stopped by uh at my house and there were some erroneous things in there just i mean it, it was clear that there was a bias and it was not taking into account the actual historical events surrounding christianity um so that's the first thing we're going to dive into and then we'll get more into uh jesus's divinity how to rebut uh the points that jehovah's witnesses make um on jesus divinity and how the trinity is not you know how they believe it's not a uh a true thing so to say um and then we'll kind of get into a little bit more about you know more proofs and what's going on with the the bible translation um so now i'm what i'm gonna read i'll read verbatim quotes from the pamphlet that i copied down um and then I'll follow with my responses on it. So this this one that I had, this, this pamphlet had a lot to do with uh, early Christianity um, and, you know, various things about the Trinity. So the, the first thing that caught my mind, and, and this is what I, I kind of said back to them too, um, so I'm kind of paraphrasing what I said to them, but one of the first things that caught my mind was this. This is what it said in the pamphlet. It said, Teachings that led to the development of the Trinity began to be officially formulated in 325 CE, more than two centuries later, at a council in the city of Nicaea. Um, so that's that's kind of wrong there. Um, that, that, that just, or I should say, it's just, it's a half-truth. 
it's a half truth basically and again that comes verbatim from the uh, pamphlet that I was given that they give to pretty much anybody that asks uh, questions so what I would say in reply to that is that while certain terms were definitely formulated at this time in year 325 AD, yeah, I don't do that common era bullcrap, sorry. <laughs> so, you know, while certain time, certain terms were, were, you know, really formulated at this time, they were. The notion of the Trinity didn't develop in a vacuum. Um, St. Justin Martyr wrote in his first apology uh, between 148 and 155 AD that we worship him, Jesus Christ, reasonably who is both the firstborn word of God and is God. Um, Tertullian also explicitly mentions the Trinity in a letter dated uh, sometime around 213 AD. So the quote from the pamphlet makes it seem like the idea of the Holy Trinity and the Son being of one being, of one substance, uh, that Greek word uh, homosios. Um, they think that that term just suddenly popped up. Um, these direct formulations were necessary at the First Council of Nicaea. It was necessary as orthodoxy was being challenged at the time, and those statements were made in response to the heresies present in the 4th century, principally Arianism, which taught Jesus was only God's first and greatest of his creatures, and Jehovah's Witnesses is basically a New Age Arianism, so to speak. That's what it is, one of the oldest heresies in the book. Um, so the Bible is not unclear on these issues, but uh, Peter's second letter in the, in the third chapter reminds us that there are some things in them, in Scripture, that are hard to understand, which some twist to their own destruction. Compare that with Acts 8, when uh, the, uh, Philip the Evangelist goes to the Ethiopian Enoch and he asks him, Do you understand what you're reading? And the Enoch says, How can I, unless someone guides me? That's what the church was doing during these councils. And we're going to look a little more closely into this after the break here. So the next kind of spurious, erroneous charge that I encountered in this uh, pamphlet uh, was the following. Constantine summoned church leaders to Nicaea, not because he sought religious truth, but because he did not want religion to divide his empire. So remember, Constantine was, you know, the first Roman emperor that uh, allowed Christianity um, to be legalized. Uh, you know, this is in the 4th century, you know, right around the first time of the first council of Nicaea, the first ecumenical council. Um, so that council was called in 325 AD to address several issues, uh, not only the relationship between the Father and the Son, um, but the date for Easter was also discussed, as was the validity of baptism by heretics and the ordination of Enochs to the priesthood. Um, so while it's true that Constantine didn't want division in his empire, it's a gross exaggeration here to say that his motives were only political. Um, Constantine, while not baptized, saw himself as a Christian. He didn't actually become baptized until he was on his deathbed. Um, but, you know, while he didn't understand how the theological undertones of the council worked or what they were, he saw himself as the Pontifex Maximus, or chief priest, the, the bridge builder. Uh, that was the title that all Roman Empire, um, emperors, I'm sorry, that all Roman emperors held um, since the reign of Octavian in the year 27 BC. So in Constantine's eyes, he was the chief representative of the official Roman religion, and since he was Christian, or at least since he identified as Christian, he felt he had a duty to defend and promote Christianity. This would, of course, lead to difficulties as the centuries went on when future emperors tried to assert their secular authority over bishops, but everything Constantine did was in union with the bishops. 
he convened the council and ratified whatever the bishops present at the council decreed. Uh, this was the first time such a council could have even convened with bishops from all over the known world uh, coming to that location. Since just a couple decades earlier, Christians were in hiding for their lives. You know, they were martyred left and right. Um, there's there's actual commentaries of the proceedings of the council, or at least eyewitness accounts of it, writing how many bishops came in maimed, some of them without eyes, some of them without limbs, because they had suffered the tortures that... Um, that were given to, to Christians, you know, they survived. Many were martyred. Some of these bishops survived, but they were totally maimed and everything. But here they were able to walk in the middle of the Roman Empire, you know, totally justified now, um, free to practice their religion. So Constantine himself expressed sorrow um, to those maimed bishops that attended. And he even kissed their wounds as a sign of sympathy at that very council. So Constantine had also intervened as a note. Um, as Pontifex Maximus during the Donatist heresy in the years 318 through 320 about. And again, he deferred to the bishops as a legitimate authority there as well. Um, another erroneous claim uh, coming from this, this pamphlet. Constantine proposed that the council adopt the ambiguous notion that Jesus was of one substance, homosius, with the Father. Okay, so while Constantine pushed for this for the sake of unity... It's only because this word was already being used before Constantine and was brought up by some bishops already. Remember, Constantine didn't have a strong grasp on theology. He heard the term from somewhere else before. He agreed with the same bishops who also accepted this under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The church has always taught that Jesus was God, that Jesus was not created, and the church has always taught there was never, ever a time when he did not exist. The church now, faced with this heresy of Arianism, now they needed some way to fully articulate this belief, since Arius had challenged the apostolic teaching. Uh, the pamphlet goes on saying, This unbiblical Greek philosophical term, homosius, laid the foundation for the Trinity doctrine as later set forth in the church creeds. So what? <laughs> the word Bible is nowhere found in the Bible. Neither is the word monotheism, nor the words omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. Uh, but we all use these words to accurately describe God. Are those words unbiblical or wrong to use? They're not wrong to use, because they describe in detail something that is happening inside the books of the Bible. The next thing the pamphlet does is that it uh, inaccurately quotes the Catechism of the Catholic Church and quotes it in a way that makes it seem that the church kind of pulled it out, the Trinity doctrine, out of thin air. So I'm going to read paragraphs 250 and 251, and this is what all Christians, all Christians believe uh, regarding the Holy Trinity. So if you get this pamphlet from the Jehovah's Witnesses saying, you know, this is what Catholics believe in their catechism, here's what the catechism actually says about the Trinity. Uh, this paragraph's 250 and 251. Uh, During the first centuries, the church sought to clarify her Trinitarian faith, both to deepen her own understanding of the faith and to defend it against the errors that were deforming it. This clarification was the work of the early councils, aided by the theological work of the church fathers and sustained by the Christian people's sense of the faith. In order to articulate the dogmas of the Trinity, 
the church had to develop her own terminology with the help of certain notions of philosophical origin, substance, person, or hypostasis, relation, and so on. In doing this, she did not submit the faith to human wisdom, but gave a new and unprecedented meaning to these terms, which from then on would be used to signify an ineffable mystery, infinitely beyond all that we can humanly understand. So, as I mentioned before, this doctrine was whole and entire from the apostolic age. Doctrines aren't made, they are revealed to us, and at certain points in history, the way we understand doctrine can develop more fully. So what we saw at the First Council of Nicaea, that was a development of how the Trinity was expressed and articulated in words, very specific words. Um, the last point that I wanted to quote from that, that pamphlet was this. They said, the Christian Bible, including the New Testament, has no Trinitarian statements or speculations concerning a Trinitary deity. So statements as defined by the First Council of Nicaea? No. But that doesn't mean that the Trinity wasn't described in the New Testament. Just a couple examples. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 28, verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We baptize in one name, not three, since all three divine persons are one. Um, and then uh, from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 14, St. Paul says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So, you know, we see the Trinity there too. Um, and then here's just a couple, I just want to give a couple quick uh, divinity of Christ proofs um, and kind of compare and contrast, you know, what... The New World Translation, the NWT says, compared to um, the translation I used uh, was the New American Bible. So the first proof comes from Isaiah, uh, chapter 9, verse 6, and this is from the NWT. Uh, it says, For a child has been born to us, a son has been given to us, and the rulership will rest on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So... Mighty God can't refer to God the Father because this person is a child born to us. It refers to Jesus. Uh, but then the Jehovah's Witness might say, well, why is this an eternal father? How could he possibly say that? Isaiah is not saying that Jesus is the eternal father, but that he has the characteristics of God. In other words, Jesus has all the attributes of God, including eternality. Um, so when Isaiah is speaking of the same, or um, uh, when he's speaking of the name of the coming Messiah and says his name will be Mighty God, Eternal Father, etc., um, it's telling us about the characteristics of the Messiah to come in a prophetic manner. So this also explains why Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father in John 14, 9. Um, it was because Jesus so precisely represented God the Father as his prophesied name reveals. That's why he's called Eternal Father, but more clearly, he's called Mighty God. In John 20, 28, uh, St. Thomas the Apostle says, when he sees our risen Lord, he says, My Lord and my God. Compare that with when, uh, in Luke 9, 33, when Peter sees Jesus, Moses, and Elijah at the Transfiguration, he proposes building three booths, and the Bible definitely states that Peter didn't know what he was saying. So when Thomas says Jesus is God, there's no mention that St. Thomas didn't know what he was saying. Jesus doesn't correct Thomas at all. Don't you think at that point, Jesus would have been like, hey, uh, I'm not God. Why, why are you calling me God? <laughs> he didn't because Thomas was right on. Um, and this next one is probably my favorite. Um, 
because it doesn't come from the Gospel of John, which you know is more uh, you know more theologically deep uh, than the other Synoptic Gospels. Um, and it's really a I think it's once you dive into it, it's a pretty clear proof that Jesus is God. So here's one that I really like to use that I kind of pieced together somewhat on my own. Um, so in uh, Isaiah 54 verse 5, uh, the New World Translation reads this. Um, For your grandmaker is as your husband, Jehovah of armies is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your repurchaser. He will be called the God of the whole earth. And the uh, New American Bible Revised Standard Version pretty much the same uh husband is the main thing for your grandmaker is your husband so compare to what jesus said in matthew chapter 9 verses 14 and 15 where he declares his divinity yet again this is what it says in the, in the new world translation in the nwt then john's disciples came to him and asked why do we and the pharisees practice fasting but your disciples do not fast at this jesus said to them the friends of the bridegroom have no reason to mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, do they? But days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So God is clearly recognized as the husband, the bridegroom to Israel and Isaiah. Jews of the first century understood this. So when Jesus made the claim that he was the bridegroom, when he said this to uh John the Baptist's disciples, Jesus was asserting his divinity in a way that surely shocked John's disciples. Jesus is obviously talking about God, and you can't escape the fact that Jesus, when referring to God, is referring to himself. Look at look at it. Look at it in, in your own Bibles. Um Matthew 9, 14, uh, 15. 9, 14 through 15. So when Jesus refers to the friends of the bridegroom, who is he referring to? the apostles this is obvious when he says the bridegroom will be taken away from them then they will fast them refers to the apostles they are not fasting right now in this 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 moment as john's disciples pointed out but they will once the bridegroom leaves so if god the father jehovah as they call him is the bridegroom how would he leave jesus as he does throughout the gospel, talks about how the apostles will no longer see me and how he will go away. This is another reference to how Jesus will be going away. God the Father is not the bridegroom, however. However, God the Son is. Otherwise, why would the apostles stop fasting if simply a man or the archangel Michael was with them? The only reason they should stop fasting is because God is in their midst. This again proves that Jesus is God. And I think that'll be a, a stumper for any Jehovah's Witness if you uh, bring that one up. But I, I, truth be told, they did stump me on one thing. Um, and I was able to get back to them later about it. It was regarding uh, St. Paul's letter to the uh, Philippians, uh, chapter 2, verse 6. Um, and I was actually able to find out that what they quoted me wasn't a uh, a proof of Jesus's um, lack of divinity but 
really that verse, that that little actually the whole little versicle, those few uh, that that beginning of chapter two, was actually an early Christian hymn uh, praising Jesus, um, and is really a proof of his divine nature. Um, I could get really into that, you know, if, if anybody really wants to get more details uh, on that. Um, I suggest um, Google, um, you know, Philippians 2.6, uh, a proof for or against Christ's divinity, a response to a Jehovah's Witness. Um, you can also look up um, uh, on Catholic.com. There's a short little thing about um, Jesus uh, on Philippians 2.6. Um, cause it's just, you know, time is limited here, but there's, there's so many other things that I could go into more detail about. So, you know, if anybody has any questions about, you know, how the word God, you know, the, the Greek word Theon or Theos is translated, um, in the Bible, you know, I'd love to talk about that or, um, the whole Coptic text that, uh, a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses like to bring up today. There, there's a whole lot to go into, but this is just, you know, a little intro into, what you need in your back pocket when they come uh, knocking on your door. Um, So thanks for tuning in today, guys. We'll talk with you soon next time on Ask a Catholic Dude.